0: Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. It's my privilege to bring to you the Word of God today from John chapter 21. I want to read the first 19 verses. Uh, I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version Um, as we continue in our series called "The Uprising," uh, that we've been in since Easter Sunday, and so uh, follow along with me if you want to click to uh, this this passage of scripture, or if you just want to allow uh, uh, allow it to be read in your hearing. Uh, let's hear now the word of God from John chapter 21. After these things, Jesus showed him again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. And gathered uh, there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two uh, others of his disciples. Now Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing, and they said to him, Well, we will go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just after daybreak uh, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, um, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast your net on the other side of the boat, and there you will find some. So they cast it, and they were not able to haul it in, because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, Is it the Lord? And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. They were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. Now when they had gone ashore they saw a char fire, fire, fire there, with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. Though there were so many the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? because they knew that it was, in fact, the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, I know you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt. He had said said this to him a third time, Do you love me? And he answered him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will fasten a belt around you and will take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And after he said said that, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I was in high school, my family would go up to Yellowstone National Park for a week at a time and spend a week fly fishing. Now, of course, that was my first exposure to fishing. I had grown up spending late nights catching catfish in a little pond that we called the Refuge Pit. Uh, but by the time I had turned 14, fishing had gone from a late night side hobby to a central expression of what it meant to be a Luka. And so, along with my dad and two brothers, we would hike several miles of Yellowstone trails in order to find a a stretch of water that was suitable for catching the biggest fish. Sometimes we succeeded, (laughs) but often we failed. And that's kind of the nature of fishing. Uh, Unless it's a particularly good day, 95% of casts end in failure. It reminds me of, of baseball, where you are considered wildly successful if you only fail 7 out of 10 times. Now, I should be clear, even though I grew up fishing, my family was uh, quite the fisherman. Uh, it never really stuck with me. So I, to this day, I'm not a big fisherman. Um, it never caught for me like it did for my brothers. But even when I do go out, it's not uncommon to fish or a few hours, no catch, sometimes even without a bite. What this means inherently is that I don't like running into other fishermen. <laughs> because anytime you run into another fisherman, what, inap- what inevitably happens is you get the dreaded question. Are you having any luck? And me too often the answer to that question is, nope. <laughs> I'm also uh, amazed at how an entire day of catching nothing can be erased by a big catch. It's kind of like the pains of childbirth can be forgotten once you lay eyes on a baby. So when you manage to hook a fish that puts a good fight on the line, that is the thing that you go home talking about. It's like all the hours of no action at all vanished in light of the big catch which is to say i know exactly how the disciples felt on that night and that early morning illustration of fishing a long time and catching anything always believing that it's going to be the next cast or the next throw of the net when things will be different But after fishing all night, the disciples do, in fact, get the dreaded question from a man on the shore. You haven't caught anything, have you? (laughs) When the reply comes back no, the man on the shore offers some advice. And these disciples, feeling as though they have nothing to lose, right? I mean, they've been fishing for hours with no luck. And so why not try anything? They follow the instructions of the stranger on the shore, tossed their nets on the other side of the boat. And once they did, they found themselves hauling in a huge catch and enjoying breakfast on the beach with the risen Lord, who, turns out, is either Lord over all of creation or a really good fisherman, or maybe both. (laughs) And it's kind of this next portion of the story that I want to focus on, but I think the context of fishing is important. So after breakfast, This is how I imagine this conversation playing out in my head. I I don't think that Jesus would have asked these questions of Peter in front of everyone. Uh, That might have felt a little bit humiliating, right? So I kind of imagine Jesus inviting Peter to go on a walk along the shore. And as they walk along the shoreline, away from the other disciples, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Now Peter replies emphatically, As he does most things, like Peter doesn't do anything halfway. So he replies emphatically, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. To which Jesus replies, feed my lambs. And this episode repeats two more times with only small variations in between. And so three times Jesus asks Peter if he loves him. And three times Peter insists that he does. And then three times, Jesus follows that up with a command or, let's say, an invitation to Peter after he's confessed his love. Now, it's important to note that Peter had fallen apart the night that Jesus was arrested. Uh, when armed guards arrived in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter panicked. He grabbed his sword, he cut off a man's ear. Just to say that in a matter of seconds he had Peter managed to violate so much of what Jesus taught him over the course of the last three years and so Jesus then showing compassion for the injured man and for Peter heals the man's wound and turns to Peter with a gentle reminder that those who live by the sword are going to die by the sword and later on that same night as Jesus was was brought before the courts after being arrested, Peter was asked three times if he knew Jesus or if he was associated with Jesus's movement. Three times Peter denied knowing Jesus. For the attentive reader of the gospel text this morning, this walk on the shoreline is meant to bring to our memory the events that happened just a few days earlier. And it's important to recognize that these events, this Peter's encounter with the risen Christ on the shore and Peter's denial of Jesus the night he was was, um, crucified and arrested and then crucified are really separated by just a few number of days. And so three times Peter had denied Jesus, now three times Peter has the opportunity to confess his love for Jesus. Which is to say that during this walk along the shoreline, Peter receives forgiveness from his past failures. And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't just offer Peter forgiveness. Jesus invites Peter to participate in his work. So while the invitation to feed lambs and look after sheep may sound odd to us in our culture, the gospel writer even in his own aryan culture is in fact working in metaphor remember that jesus john had told us the, a little bit earlier is the good shepherd and so the work of feeding lambs and looking after sheep is in fact a metaphor for going about the work of jesus and the kingdom that he is bringing to bear and so through metaphor after receiving this forgiveness from past failures, Peter was invited to participate in the ongoing work of God. It's kind of like in the same way that after a long night of fishing disappears with a big catch, Peter's past failures had vanished through the forgiveness of Christ and the invitation to participate in his kingdom. Past failure no longer mattered. What what now was Peter's love for Jesus and his participation in his work, and so I want us to see that in the up that is centered on Jesus, we aren't defined by our past. We are offered the invitation to follow Him. To me, that is such good news. It is such phenomenally good news. We aren't defined by our past, but are given this always present invitation to follow him. The invitation to follow me is always caught up in the present. Follow me is not something just for the future. And follow me is not something associated with the past. Follow me is, is inherent caught up in the right now, in the present. So matter no matter what has taken place in the past, or no matter what uncertainties we face in the future, the reality and the invitation remains the same, that in this moment we heed the instruction to follow him. And that, in fact, is what we must do. You see, follow me. This invitation from Jesus to Peter and to us is this, is in fact this invitation that captures the essence of discipleship. Discipleship, the word disciple means follower or student or one who imitates a teacher. And so for the uprising of Jesus to endure, we need to follow the ways of Jesus and invite others to do the same by way of example. I think author, uh, the, public theologian Brian McLaren has a really big point and way of saying this. In his book, We Take the Road by Walking, he says this This revolutionary plan of discipleship means that we must first and foremost be examples. We must embody the message and values of the movement. Now, that doesn't mean that we are perfect because just look at Peter, but it does mean that we are growing, learning, always humble, and willing to get up again, even after, after all. always moving forward on the road that we are walking. So as Jesus modeled never ending learning and growth for us, we will model it for others, who will model it still for others. And if each new generation of disciples follows this example, then centuries from now, apprentices Still be learning the ways of Jesus from mentors so that they can become mentors for the following generation. I think the temptation for us is to stop at receiving forgiveness. We confess our sin, we receive the forgiveness of Christ, and thanks God that is true in each of our lives. But this story of, of Peter's redemption on the beach reminds it isn't just a matter of receiving forgiveness but we are then invited into this thing called the kingdom of God which has associated with it a lifestyle a way of being in the world to be learners to be followers to be apprentices even when it isn't easy And sometimes I think we shortchange the gospel when we make it just all about receiving forgiveness. It is absolutely about that, and perhaps it even starts there. Confess our sins before God. Receive the forgiveness of Christ. But inherent in our baptism is a proclaimed allegiance to Jesus as Lord. And if we Jesus as Lord, and our allegiance belongs only to Him, then it comes with it all kinds of ways of being, a way of life associated with it. And that isn't to say that all of us are perfect, right? <laughs> of course not. But it is to say that we are brought into this journey of commitment, of, of humble learning in the ways of Jesus. Sometimes I think the other error that we make after receiving forgiveness we shut ourselves off to further learning. We shut ourselves off to new ways in which the Lord would want to work in us and new light that he would want to show us. We feel like kind of just, we were handed a theological system, a belief, that's the way it is, and that's it. And then we shut off learning humble heart. So my for you to, is simple. To be a disciple, a follower, Jesus, not to stop at receiving con- the forgiveness through confession, not to stop being a learner because a disciple means that we are, in fact, always learning, seeking, and drawing after those of Christ. There's one more thing about this that I think is important, and it has to do with the context of the fishermen. In the journey of following Jesus, we must be willing to give ourselves grace. Perhaps Jesus picked a group of fishermen to be his first disciples because fishermen know what it's like to fail and then keep trying. Fishermen have experienced long nights with no catch. Are willing to go back the next night, and try again. And so, these fishermen, these ancient brothers and sisters of ours in Christ, they kept casting their nets, they kept trying new places, new techniques. And I just think, in similar fashion, they kept on mentoring others in the way of Jesus, they kept on proclaiming the good news of Jesus, they kept doing their best to serve as examples of what it's like to. For Him, even when they weren't quite sure. And now, because they kept trying, because they kept learning, because they kept casting their nets, here we are, centuries later, gathered through an internet broadcast, proclaiming the good news of Jesus and seeking to be His followers. Church, let me remind you that this is what the life of faith is like. It isn't just all easy growth in faith, clear answers to our deepest questions. There are seasons of doubt with no clear answers. There are seasons of hard work for the kingdom of God with no clear results. There are even seasons where we must learn to be people of hope in the midst of pandemic. And through it all, we may not know exactly what we are doing. We probably won't have all the answers we just keep casting nets. We stay committed to the ways of Jesus, modeling that for others, humbling ourselves so that we can keep learning and inviting others along. And so, may the uprising that is centered on Jesus be an uprising of discipleship. We are committed followers to the ways of Jesus and humble learners in the kingdom of God. Amen. Yeah